Welcome back to the Relentless Minds podcast. I am your host, Lori Jimenez. I created this platform with a sole mission, and that is to inspire people of all backgrounds to create the change they wish to see in their lives and in the world by sharing the examples of those who are. As a listener, you will hear the stories of ordinary men and women with extraordinary stories of overcoming adversities in order to experience the life they dream of. All of these individuals share a common interest. They desire a change for the better, and they are in a relentless pursuit to create that for themselves. If you're looking for inspiration to overcome challenges in your own life, to create a life that you desire to have, then you have come to the right place. You see, the truth is, people everywhere are fighting for what they believe in, and together, with relentless action and mental strength, I have no doubt that we can fulfill that dream. Welcome back to Relentless Minds. In today's episode, I sit down with Placid Magambo, a native born to Rwanda, Africa, who was 17 years old at the time that the genocide in Rwanda took place on April 7, 1994. Placid survived the genocide miraculously by staying constantly on the run and sleeping in the forest. However, he was not spared from witnessing the slaughter and death that took place over those three months where nearly one million Tutsis were murdered by the Hutus. Studies estimate that about 10,000 Tutsis were murdered every day. Placid, like thousands of others that survived the genocide, carried with him the trauma from that experience when trying to piece his life back together. In this interview, Placid shares with us how life was before the genocide and how the hatred from the Hutus were felt every day. He tells us about his experience living through the genocide and the hardships he faced afterwards, trying to continue his life while living through the trauma from the events he experienced. Placide desired to be a journalist because he believed in the impact that journalism could have by informing and educating his community that was so broken after the genocide. But the journey to pursue his passion and create the impact he desired was far from easy. And in this episode, he opens up about all of the things that seemed to work against him and why he was determined to surpass them. Placide, thank you so much for being here today and joining me to tell your story of how you survived the genocide in Rwanda and also sharing your story of the journey that you had to go through to pursue your dream of being in journalism and being able to be a journalist despite life events that could have derailed you from that dream. So thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So to start off, I wanted to get a feel of how life was in Rwanda for you growing up before the genocide. Yeah, life was good that time. The thing that happened uh, was that uh, our parents didn't tell us who we are, like uh, our ethnic group. But um, so you would go outside, people would call you, uh, you are a Tutsi, you and some others could tell that they, somebody can could tell that they are Hutu, but uh, really the parents didn't tell us that, uh, especially at school. That's where some students, some teachers, they would ask us to stand up in class to, uh, to tell the ethnic group that we, we belong to. But um, something that happened, I remember myself, I went home, I asked my parents who I am, then they didn't they said, who asked you that question? So they didn't really want to tell us like uh, our ethnic group that we belong to, but um, the pressure outside uh, among the students, uh, the teachers, so that's where, how we learned. Besides that, the life was good. So we could make friends, we could go to school. The life was good that time. That life was good. And yeah. you guys didn't then understand the split 
between the tribes because your parents weren't trying to inform you of that. Yeah, actually, actually the, the, things became more um, uh, serious when the war started. Because as um, uh, in Rwanda, the history of Rwanda, so there is uh, like uh, uh, three different ethnic groups. So then uh, uh, before, uh, like uh, uh, until 1959, so Rwanda had uh, the kings, that's what was the like uh, uh, monarchy. Mm -hmm. So then the kings were there. Then uh, so the uh, in the nine when the uh, Belgians and the Germany they came to colonize. First of all, the Germany came to colonize Rwanda until 1914 uh, during the uh, First World War. Uh, then uh, Rwanda was colonized then by Belgians. So. Uh, they, uh, they 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 promoted this uh, division between the people, the the community. So then, um, until 1959, when when the Tutsis were expelled, uh, they went outside. They, they were uh, expelled outside of the country. So some they went to Uganda, Tanzania, Burundi, in the, the neighboring countries, and in Congo, and some in Kenya. So that's how the family were divided. So. And so the family, those people, those Rwandans who were living outside, were were trying to push to come back to the country. So in 1990, that's how they uh, they came back by force. So they went to uh, to fight the, the the government to overthrow the power that that that, that was uh, was in place. So that's when the issue of uh, ethnicity uh, became really very serious. So the Hutu were on power, had the power, so that's when they started to divide people to say that uh, we will revenge, we will kill. If you come back by force, we kill, kill the Tutsis who are in the country. So uh, that's uh, how in uh, schools we were pressured a lot. So some students would attack us and uh, even the teachers. So uh, and, Because uh, you guys were unwanted. Yes, yes. So some students got killed, so they, they've they been attacked. Like my case, me too, I have been attacked when I, when I was at school. I was in northern of the country, that's where I was going to school. So that's uh, how things really started to become more serious. And uh, the division became like um, very clear and became like, the, the, it was really, it became very dangerous that time. Okay. Until the genocide happened in 1994. 1994. Mm. So as a child growing up, and you were 17 years old, is that right, when the genocide occurred? Yes, yes. So up until this point, you know, you're obviously experiencing these different dynamics. You know, you were saying that you were beat as a child by mm. their students mm. because there was conflict between the Hutus and the Tutsis already. Mm. But when it comes to you and, and just trying to live as a teenager, as mm. a young adult, Hmm. What was it that you dreamed of doing? Like, what were is it? What was it that you had goals to accomplish as a child? Did you always want to be a journalist? Uh, actually, I think that the, the idea of becoming a journalist became, uh, uh, became like uh, I had that idea after genocide. So, hmm. actually, um, how did that come about? Uh, the history of journalism in Rwanda, uh, uh, 1993 or 1992, that's when we had the first TV, uh, the first TV station in Rwanda. Wow. So before we had no TV, no TV in the country. So 
that's how the, 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 the idea of becoming journalist uh, became more uh, strong in me than uh, uh, but on the, on the other side, the journalists at that time, they were, uh, the, the journalism in general, they were taken as um, those who promoted genocide. So it was really very tough to be a journalist so that I, even my family... You're saying that journalists were viewed as someone who promoted genocide? Yes. How so? Uh, because of, of propaganda. Uh, during the genocide, the journalists were like commentators, sports commentators. Wow. And meeting genocide happening at that time. So, Were that, they encouraging it? Yeah. There is like uh, one famous radio. So that's uh, the one radio that really promoted genocide. Commenting like... Uh, hateful words. Yeah, hateful words. Yeah, even promoting like the musics that divided people. There is also the newspapers which promoted the genocide. So that's the image that journalists had in general. Even today, it happens so that uh, the the journalists. So whenever they, you see that, like they see the journalist uh, saying, like um, they keep the eyes on journalists in, in, in the country, yeah. even in the region. So it was a hard t- decision to decide to go to do journalism. I do have a couple questions for you. Mm. One was, what impact did journalism have? on the genocide during this time and mm. on the feelings of the people on spreading. the Hutus yeah on spreading, spreading. this this idea yes yes, yes. it uh, journalism to be honest it's it's true that uh, the journalism uh, really had promoted this uh, uh, genocide and it it was very easy to to be spread like in community because of journalism interesting you know i'm interested because it's a lot of society then society Develop this um, this image of journalism and how it was negative, right? Mm. And how it was toxic. Mm. And you being Tutsi mm. and having seen the effects of journalism in a negative way, mm. I'm interested in knowing why you thought there was a positive to it and why you actually wanted to pursue it. Yeah, actually, it's a it's a, it's a really interesting question because I, yeah, you know, uh, I always believe that. Uh, even if it happened that uh, play, played a big role in propaganda, so it's also on the other side, journalism can be the solution. So it can be the solution to unify people, to bring people together, and it's happening. So I can tell you that uh, the media in general that are playing a role in bringing the people together again. I believe on that side, that it can bring people together again. So, but. Still, of course, there is some people who who never believe in mm-hmm. journalism anymore. Uh, the solution is not to fight back. The solution is to listen to them, to explain to them how uh, the journalism can be a solution in uh, solving the problems, bringing people together, uh, unifying the people instead mm-hmm. of uh, dividing them. Absolutely, and that's what you aim to do, right? And that's what you. That's were, my dream. Yeah, that's, that's what my your dream. Goal is. Yeah, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful goal, very admirable, and to we're gonna go into the journey that you went through in order to achieve that goal. Now being here in America, and you know something I wanted to see if you wanted to touch on when it comes to the events that led to the genocide. You know, you mentioned there was an there was a already a conflict but when it comes to 
other things that you may have seen when it felt heavier? Were there any signs that there was something that was going to happen before the genocide occurred? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because, uh, because uh, like since 1991 and 1992, on radio, even the journalists were announcing that we'll kill them. We'll kill them. We have no other solution. Instead of killing them, even the leaders, you know, they were giving speech to, to, to leaders who were promoting genocide directly. So it was, it was really clear, but um, on the other side, it looks like the parents or the adults in that time, how did they decide to stay there, not to leave? Yeah. I always ask myself that question, but on the other side, you know, it was like the government had the policy like to keep the people inside the country so people will not travel. They made it harder to the people to travel to get out. It was clear that uh, because the leaders, as they were speaking about that in the media, so it was clear. So then that's the reason why I come back to the role of journalism in, uh, in uh, genocide, so they were promoting. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, yeah, even today, you know, it's really very hard to trust the journalists over there. Mm -hmm. But we lived with that when I when I was a journalist. We we learned that's one part of doing this uh, this profession to learn how to accept the situation that you are living in. So, which was not easy, of course, but uh, it's part of it. What do you mean by that? Can you go a little deeper? Like, it was easier to blame journalists. Yeah, even in our time, when I started journalism, it was like 12 years after genocide. But still, the politicians, the people outside, they are, whenever they see something which is not going well, so they blame journalists. Mm. So then it's really very hard to accept to be criticized all the time and huh. to say like, uh, it's because of this journalist. It's because of this journalist. Whatever doesn't work, they they will say like it's because uh, it's those journalists. That's the way they are. So uh, that is the reason why it's really very difficult. Some people, like I know, some people who gave up journalism. It was not easy, but uh, yes. it's, it's our journey. Yeah, mm. I appreciate you giving us insight on how mm. that experience was for you when you try to pursue journalism later on in life and that this idea and this image of journalists being bad brought a lot of criticism mm. upon you, I'm sure. I would like to backtrack a little bit because we were talking about the events that led up to the genocide and you were saying that it was all over the media. Journalism, mm. journalists were spreading this in the radio, on TV, mm. that you know they wanted to kill the Tutsis. Mm. So it was very clear. Mm. And so when it comes to the actual experience, can you take us back to the, that day? Do you remember the first day when things happened? The first day of genocide, like, um, I remember, actually, we, the way genocide started, it was like the former president of, of Rwanda and his... Um, his colleague, President of Burundi, they were in the on the same flight. Then the plane, there was a plane crash. They shut down with missile, 
uh, the, the, that plane saw the two presidents died in the same flight. So it was um, Wednesday, April 6, 1994. So in the evening, around 8.30 in the evening. So we didn't know what happened. I remember we were, it was a break. So we, we, we were in vacation for from school. So which one, one said, one side I say it was good for me because uh, I was... Uh, Going to, going to school in a very dangerous area, it would be very hard to survive, even if the life was the uh, same. But uh, that night we didn't know what happened, so we learned that in morning, in the next morning, on the radio they said that, that the president was killed. So the first thing that we did, so my father and my brother, they went outside to see how things are going. The message on radio, people say, uh, journalists saying people are not allowed to to travel. They need to stay at home. So they didn't want like two people to to stand together. Um, my father and my brother they went out, and uh, so I went behind them. So they they wanted me to stay at in in in, in the house, but I I followed them. So the first image that I had was. Uh, the body of people in the street, seeing like the, 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 the stores being burned. So that's when I said things are becoming more dangerous. Have so, you ever seen this before at a lesser level? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was different. It was um, uh, the time when I, was, when I was at school, I saw that. You would still see people uh, yeah. dead. But, but this not. one was really very, very dangerous. They were killing like lots of people. So it was really very hard, very hard to... It's a long story, but um, yeah, like the journey, like... Yeah, and you don't you have can... to go through all the details either. Yeah, so it's... It was really... I, that's when I saw like things were becoming more and more serious then. And that was July 7th? Uh, 7th in the morning. Was... It was lots of... Uh, bullets going down. Yeah. Yeah. So in the night, you could tell like uh, that's when the f the fight really started. So there was fight going on between uh, the rebels, the former former rebels, like uh, now the soldiers of the national of the country, but then the soldiers of uh, of Javier Manados who were doing genocide. So the fight was going on, the bullets killing people. So it was too much. Mm -hmm. And you were at 17 at this time. Mm -hmm. Who was in your family at this that, point? Actually, we were, we were together with him, uh, our father and my sisters, three sisters and my brother. So we were together. In, uh, that's, my mom was traveling. So when it started, we were not together. And she was traveling where? She was in, in the country, but uh, in, in the north, world. in north. Okay. So uh, for her, she succeeded, she succeeded to leave the country, but, uh, you know, and the rumors, the rumors that going, were going on, so some people told her that they saw our bodies on the street, then she decided to come back in the country. It was really very, very risky. She succeeded to be outside of the country, then she decided to come back. Because she heard that something had happened to you guys. Yeah. 
uh, I think that the second, no, the second night, the, that's when we spread. That's when we spread. We went, my sister and I, we went to hide. There is a friend, a, a friend of my dad, so who was living nearby in the neighborhood. He accepted to hide us, but you know, things were changing like every minute. So at one point, then he said, I don't want you here to stay here, even if your, fa- your father is my friend. So then we had to leave. We had to leave that. Uh, yeah, I do know that there was a lot of um, neighbors turning their backs and friends turning their backs, people that you thought you could count on because it was mm-hmm. everyone for themselves, really. Mm. Yeah, because my family, actually, we met again in Butari in South. And again, we uh, were at our uncles. So then we've been attacked like every time, every night. Sometimes they would catch us some some other time they would miss and remember that they were shooting on the door so trying to get in so at uh, one point they took me and my father and my brother decided to go to kill us that was the time when it was uh, it was really very hard we didn't think that we would survive that time but uh, fortunately there were lots of bullets going on so those soldiers ran, then they left us, but it was really very hard because I went through like that kind of experience even before the genocide when I was at school. So I couldn't stop. Well, then I kept going, but um, when my brother stopped, they got him, they beat him. He was saw lots of bloods, but fortunately, he survived that day, but I had to run to go to hide. So that's when, like, things became more serious to leave the, the house, to spend to spend the night in the forest, hiding. At one point, I was looking at myself, trying to save my life. So sometimes I, I stayed alone. From Butare, I went to Gikongoro, Gikongoro, Tiangugu, so going, trying to hide, like, in, in the forest. And were you alone this whole time? Uh, yeah, this uh, this time when I was traveling, like uh, the forest, I was uh, was alone. My siblings, all of them, they, they survived. Uh, but later, my father passed passed away. Yeah. During the genocide, or after after the, gen- after the genocide, so everyone survived the genocide. Yes, everyone okay. survived. Okay. Even if my mom was coming back, yeah, it was risky, but uh, it's a miracle. You know, it was a miracle to see like the whole family like surviving. Wow, and That's... without being together. Without being together, mm. and you just never knew. Mm. So I want to know. I want to know this. So the first is a tough question, okay? Mm. Um, and that's when you were with your brother, and you had to run, and you both were running, and he mm. stopped, and you had to keep going. Mm. How do you feel about that decision that you made? Mm. What I can tell you, like, on one point, I remember where kind of fighting was telling him if you stop they are going to kill us so you don't have to apologize to them they are going to kill us but on the other side you know you feel it's really very tough you feel like you betrayed like a brother you know like whenever i saw it after after the genocide we were 
always discussing about that, telling him we shouldn't stop. Then he said, no, they would kill us. So it was like uh, we were arguing. On the other side, so you feel, you feel like you don't want to talk about it at all. Lots of things happened during the genocide. So some people, like, they feel like, uh, I should have done this, I should have stayed, mm. not letting, uh, like, him. But uh, when I saw him, like, with, with bloods, with all this, but it was really very, very hard. You blame yourself. Even st- still today, we, we are still living with this... Um, confusion in confusion it's really very hard even to tell like those stories to put them together to tell like uh, how things went clearly Mm. so it demands preparation but on the other side so uh, it's really hard for me to tell this uh, this kind of stories but uh, I try my best I remember some things some things you know thing that happened on this day, but uh, um, sometimes there is a triggers, triggers, like whenever I pass, I used to pass like uh, uh, in those areas where, where I was hiding. Yeah, it was hard to tell. Yeah, so, but you remember like things like uh, every day, like uh, even today, I still remember sometimes there is something that can come kind of trigger that can trigger the memory then I can remember something do you yeah. feel like a lot of what you went through has been blocked mentally because it's been too traumatizing uh, one of the solutions that uh, I was looking for before like even when I was uh, still in Rwanda it was like trying to forget mm. so but I feel like it's it's not a solution it's not a solution so trying to to ignore the past because it can yeah it blocks like uh it blocks you like lot i was trying to to forget this thinking that it's the best solution uh why do you feel like it wasn't what do you feel is the better solution for you right now i think that um it's like to sit down, maybe try it, mm. try it down, like whatever. It helps, it yeah. helps somehow. Uh, but uh, yes, because you try to forget, but uh, it used to happen a lot, like the nightmares. You can't stop the nightmares. You can't stop like uh, things that can trigger your memories. Uh, so it's really hard. It's hard, but uh, whenever I sit down and write down, like the first night, what I went through, that's one one of the solution that I think that uh, is working. But uh, trying to forget, you know, the memory still doesn't forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for for saying that. I think that's mm. an important thing that people can take away. That mm. I agree with when it comes to traumatic experiences, you know, coming to face with the events and Mm. working on, on being vulnerable, like sharing, connecting with other people, maybe that, that went through that instead of running away from it can be, can be healing, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and it can help process the the emotions. 
And so I appreciate you saying that. It's not easy, but uh, yeah, easy. you try your best. We have no choice. We have, uh, we have to remember all those things that happened. So, like, we were trying to be like in avoidance to avoid this kind of conversation, but uh, it's not the best solution, yes. It's not. So try to remember, try to manage. Uh, it's not easy, but... Uh, yeah, forgetting it, it can't happen. Mm. Mm. It yeah. won't happen. Yeah. So, moving forward now after the mm. genocide, your whole family survived. Mm. What were some of the challenges? Mm. How was life then? Were you guys living in fear? You know, how was the relationship with your neighbors that maybe had turned their backs? Yeah, it was. Um, very hard. I remember especially like um, everything was destroyed. Mm. No place to live, where to live, you know. It was, um, people were living in poverty, you know. So many people, trauma. And it was really very hard to trust like the neighbors. So all that we had to manage. So it was there. Uh, it was very hard life after genocide. Even nobody had the trust that uh, it's not going to happen again. Even coming back and see like uh, you are maybe the only survivor among the, 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 the those young boys and girls that you spent together childhood. So it was, uh, yeah, it was survival. But on the other side, it was like dark in darkness, you know. It was not easy uh, finding yourself in the environment where your colleagues got killed, mm. others they were outside, they fled the country. So it was uh, really very hard to, to restart the new life. Myself, I remember I had small jobs where I was making a few money, saving to, uh, to go back to school. So when I came back, when I went to school, you know, like uh, even education system had changed. So this was uh, when I went back to school, it was in 1995, end of 1995. So, But I had to adapt to keep my dream alive, to go back to school, to think what I can do, like uh, to change my life. So it was, uh, it was uh, very hard to manage very hard to to understand so tell us about you wanting to change your life you wanted to go back to school to change your life in what ways was it that you were trying to change your life uh, in the context uh, that the way we were raised mm -hmm. so the parents were telling us that uh, in order to, to 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 change life you have to go to school you have to have education i felt that it would be possible to change life to go to school to, to get to college, to get the job that I want. That was my dream. That time, I think that that's when they, 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 I had this dream of becoming a journalist. That's when I had this dream of saying, okay, maybe I can do something which can have impact on the community. I thought about other things, but... Uh, Journalism, I thought that that was the best way to have an impact in the community. Very interesting. Hmm. 
And so this is where you started then your journey. This was into 1995, and you were trying to go back to school. To finish high school. And then after that, then go off into university. Yes. Um, I wanted to ask you when it came to your yourself and maybe how this experience of living through the genocide may have changed you or impacted you as a person and your values and what you cared for. How do you feel that living through this? Yes. It was a three-month period of yes. genocide. Mm-hmm. And having gone through that, how did you feel after the fact in regarding you and what you wanted to do now in your community or in the world? How did it change you, impact you? This genocide had impact on my life. I saw like lots of people lost trust. It was really very hard. Uh, But on the other side, because going through this period when you you feel like you you are the only one who need to save your life, mm-hmm. nobody else is going to protect you. It built in me like something like of hard work, working hard mm-hmm. for myself to get what I want by myself. So not really to feel like I am going to expect something from somebody else. So. On the other side, we try, not only me, but I know other people who try to make it like um, something positive in them, including me, of course. I feel like I, I try to see like something like, what the lesson can I learn from this? To feel like uh, I have to work hard by myself. And this issue of... Um, changing the community because we see we see like lots of things that that's happening like for instance uh, when i decided to be a journalist i said okay i need to do that by myself not really to expect something like who can help me like um, knowing it was really very difficult to get there because when i went to university it was even competitive to get into journalism Hmm, yeah because in the university that I went to, it was the only journalism program in the country. So I remember we had like hundreds of people competing for getting into journalism. So they had to select like 20 people only. But I was always hoping that I would get there. So even if I had gone through all this situation where I could not even trust myself, but I I try to rebuild in me this kind of trust, at least to trust myself. Yeah, because did you feel like you couldn't trust yourself? It was because, um, like, lots of things, like going through this survival life and feeling like you're going to compete for something like with other people. Mm-hmm. It it was really very hard to trust myself, having all these sleepless nights, nightmares. So to focus, to stay, to stay focused. Yeah, with it was. With the trauma. Was I, that what you mean? I think so. I think so because um, it was really very hard to, to remain focused, okay, even on school, on in everything. But uh, yeah, it was uh, especially when you don't sleep well, when you have these nightmares. Sometimes, you know, it was really very hard to survive all this this situation. Mm. That's a very interesting point Mm -hmm. that you mentioned. From what I'm understanding, you couldn't trust yourself Mm -hmm. 
to pursue this goal because it was requiring from you a focus and an energy that that you were slightly it was it was being consumed by those nightmares and by the trauma that you had experienced and so you had to try to really pull that energy and that focus from the negative that had happened to focusing on getting ahead in life mm-hmm. and you know why that's so important is because even now 25 years later so many people so many young adults adults that went through the trauma directly or they went through the genocide directly or their parents went through the genocide and now they have a trauma due to the they carrying the trauma that their parents had a lot of these individuals now it's hard for them to pick up their life and move on because they're dealing with so much and so you were able to though with a lot of hard work right it was not easy you were able to still remain focused and pursue this dream and i think that's very important to speak to yeah it's a, it's a, it's hard because let's say like um, the people of my generation i saw so many friends that uh, we grew up together those who survived it's very easy to give up because you say oh why should i be doing this i'm not sure that if something happened that i, I, will, I will survive again my colleagues my friends who were killed they were stronger than than me so why why should i break my neck so at one point it's easy to give up so even today it happens to take this energy to have this energy to stay focused on something that you want to do it's really it's still very hard it's very hard but uh, it's possible it's mm. possible there is some courageous people you included i there is some that i know <laughs> but who work hard who try to transform these negative things that happen to us then to grab it to bring it into positive uh, things because it's really very hard this is um, the thing that we, we will go with will carry all of our lives so if you accept to be like uh, colonized by this situation it will happen forever but uh, it's a fight it's a fight to try to transform to change it in, in positive things but it's possible it is possible and you know that speaks to honestly how strong you are you were young you were a teenager at this point okay a lot of young children you know or young adults they don't know how to deal they don't know how to process they're not equipped with the resources in order to be able to process and and be able to to stay on their goals but what was it that kept you going what was it that kept you focused on your in your dream and what sort of things did you tell yourself maybe or what did you try to think in order to keep you going it's to accept the way i am what because there is things that will not change in my life that happened already so it's the things the hard life that can can discourage you on your way of life you know mm. it's possible you can uh, get what you want because uh, for instance let's say an example of this uh, losing sleep then at one point it may happen that 
you can spend the whole night, the sleepless night. Uh, but on the other side, you try to deal with that, to accept that's that's the way I am. But what can I do at least to start to sleep like two, three hours a night? Then tomorrow try to increase. There is lots of solutions that you can, you can find whenever you are facing those problems, but uh, it's up to you to choose. Yeah. And you were able to do that for yourself in order to... To stay with your goal. You're able to find these solutions that worked for you at this moment. If you need to stay focused, if you maybe needed to get a little bit of more rest. I challenge myself. I play sports, you know, then knowing that uh, once I get tired, like I get exhausted, I take a shower then and go to bed. Mm-hmm. So there is lots of solutions, but uh, also in that situation, it's very easy to give up. Lots of people give up, and I know the people who who stopped to go to school. And why is that, though? Uh, why did you refuse to give up? Because there's something different about how you thought. There's something different about what you wanted mm. that made you refuse to give up. Uh, maybe the most important thing was like. Uh, I thought a lot about these people who who did genocide. So if you accept it to be the way they want, you're giving them the advantage. Mm. So try to do something different. So sometimes we used to say like, they wanted to see us always crying, desperate. So the good response is to not accept that. It's in my philosophy. Like when I see like somebody wanted to turn me down, I don't accept it. Because if I accept, if I give up and accept, I'm working in his advantages. Mm. So sometimes the good response is to do something different. So try to work hard. Because in this world, there is some people who try to turn others down, who don't encourage each other. The good response is not to do the same to them, but do something that you are supposed to do, that, something that uh, in your advantage, not in their advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that maybe the main reason that I'm forcing to do that. In my life, I met lots of discouraging things, but uh, the good solution is not to give up. I love that. Thank you so much, Basid. You're welcome. <laughs> that, was, that was very, very, very powerful to say. Mm. I want to move into now your journalism and mm. the career that you were able to carry out for a short while in Rwanda, mm. but you did face challenges. You faced challenges that limited your ability to, to fully live out this dream that you had because you finally you went through the schooling, right? You graduated mm-hmm. oh, yes. with all this hard work that we were talking about that it takes, mm-hmm. and you were able to finally have the title of journalist in Rwanda mm-hmm. and do this incredible work. And I want you to talk about the challenges that you experienced um, that limited your ability to do your journalism. Yeah, it was it was like a dream because when I finished, uh, so I worked for a radio uh, for one year. Mm-hmm. Then later I was selected to keep my career at uh, the national TV. 
So it was really great. It was great experience. Another challenge to challenge myself to improve my skills in journalism. And the good thing was like in journalism, the way the people judge your stories, the way you tell them the story, it's like something that um, help you to work hard, you, that encourage you. So that's the good thing with the journalism. But as I told you, there was always the challenges, like in the country where, like everybody was saying, those journalists who promoted genocide, so they didn't even look, they don't care about like who you are. So that some people, they thought that journalists don't do anything positive. And another thing, like, it was like, lots of people want to use journalists for their own interest. So it's very easy if you don't be tough like in your job. So it's easier like for the powerful people to manipulate you. So you so have there to was res- like a sense of politics involved and corruption yeah. involved. Corruption even, more even so they even yeah, look, even th- those people who they always like want to use you, but if you try to resist some, they name you like you are fake news. You mm. yeah, so. Uh, you have to be careful with mm-hmm. that. So it was really a great experience. It was something new that I learned. My heart to learn. I have to go through that uh, that situation. So it was an always learning, always learning. It's yeah. interesting that you see it that way. Yeah. That this experience where you were criticized or try, tried to be swayed to do things that were against mm. what you became a journalist for, mm. that you were feeling like it was a learning experience. Yes. That's very interesting that that was the way. And why did you see it that way? I saw, I saw that way uh, because uh, every day there is something new. So it's not about only informing people. It's about learning. You have to learn before you inform people. And um, yeah, not only like uh, the, the, the skills, the techniques of journalism, but also like... Uh, from people's experience i saw lots of things i learned a lot like the way i would treat the stories so it was it was always something new and it was really helpful but also with those challenges it was really very hard and Mm. how many years were you dealing with this throughout your career in rwanda like from uh, as i told you from 2005 when i started to work with the radio then 2006, I went to work with TV until 2009. Then uh, from then, I lost my job in that context. And then I, you know, I didn't give up because this is the thing that I like. I like very much. Then I decided to start my own video organization mm-hmm. without making that much money because mm-hmm. uh, even doing, doing journalism, it doesn't pay a lot of money. So you have to do it by, by passion. Uh, That's right. Yeah, so you have to love it. And uh, really, I enjoyed it the way I was doing it. Yeah. And And it was sharing the truth to people. That was what it was. It was bringing, highlighting Mm. things, bringing things to light Mm. for the people to be informed. Yeah, people, they need to learn. Because, you know, as you know, we, we don't only inform people, we educate them. So there is like um, things like... That I did like TV. It, it's it's really very easy. Just 
as entertainment to people. And at the same time, educating people and informing them. So it was really a great, a great experience, like um, that community in that society mm -hmm. that was um, uh, rebuilding itself after genocide. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Telling the story, these stories about the poverty, because uh, poverty is a factor that uh, some people take advantage of just to divide people. So it was really a great experience, uh, yeah. And you did a lot of work educating people. And there was eventually a point where, though, with all of these other challenges that were presented to you, you know, with the criticism, with the corruption, that you felt there wasn't an opportunity to go further in your career, right? Yes. And so what, at this point, what was it that you decided that you wanted to do um, in order so that you can continue to pursue this dream of journalism and to educate people um, and mm. to do your passion? Yeah, it was uh, it was really very uh, hard when it was. Uh, I was thinking about like other opportunities. How can I really keep my dream alive? Uh, so one point, yes, it was really very difficult to stay there, and I decided to come here. So I was obliged to come here in America. Mm -hmm. So when I got here, like even I didn't give up. I decided to... Let's backtrack a little bit. How was, how was it for you deciding to leave your family in Rwanda? How was it? Very hard. Very hard, difficult. Because it was a decision that, uh, that I didn't really have in my mind first. I would be choice. I would be, want to stay with my family. I want to stay with them. But uh, on the other side, yeah, I was obliged to leave. I was obliged to leave, and um, when I got here, the first two months were really very difficult. The, word, the time that I did was not with my family, uh, even after genocide. Like Then I said, okay, I don't want to be far from my family. Then I was saying, but we kept in touch, like talking here in America. Were so, you able to speak English? Not really that much. Okay. Yeah, actually, actually, you're speaking, your native tongue is Kinyarwanda. Rwanda. Uh, so it was really very hard to communicate, to listen. I had to force myself to, to learn. So learning English was one of your challenges. What were some other key challenges that you went through when mm. you came here and started to build your life up again? To know people, mm. to, to make the new friends. Uh, I used to go to church where I met some friends. I went to watch soccer, to watch tennis, where I could make the new friends. So it was really very hard in the big city like New York. Because yeah. you first went to New York. Yes. And you were living there for eight years, is that right? Uh, six years. Six years. Yeah, before I came here, I came here to Washington, D.C. But um, it was really very difficult. Yeah. Uh, it's all about information to always learn, to see like uh, how it works. And again, something that I thought that was like almost impossible was about doing journalism. Yeah. Journalism again. So at that time when you moved to America and you were living in New York, were you thinking that you were, were you doubting if you would go back to journalism, if you'd be able to do journalism here? Yeah. As I told you, it's um, without language, I had to, to push myself. Then to make more connections. Then uh, later, my English was improving. 
I started to write for a newspaper. I said, okay, let me transition from uh, <laughs> Rwanda, French, journalism, uh-huh. then to English. So it was really a huge challenge. And yeah. how did you get through that? It's practice. Mm. It's practice. So I had to start writing. So of course, my editor would tell me like, you know, you need to improve this. You need to improve this. Then I, like the first time that I published my my first article was uh, rated for a week. But slowly by slowly, I was trying to write another article like in uh, three days. At one point, I was able to write it in one day. So it's about practice. You're practicing it. And my English was improving. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how I, I was improving. But it was really very hard. Then later, of course, when I came uh, here, I, I had an internship at Voice of America, still doing like other language. Then uh, I went to PBS NewsHour, where I was on TV. Everywhere I was learning, trying to learn about like journalism. It was not easy, but uh, it's possible even here at school. Yep. Yeah. And so that you're missing a whole big point there. You are right now finishing your master's degree in journalism in Georgetown, yeah. in DC. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes. Oh, thank you. Incredible. Then, yeah, it's it's something that I had in mind when I was um, making plan of what's going to be next mm. so even here to get like uh, the documents to get like green cards is it's not really easy it's a long journey yeah so after that when uh, you know he said okay you know what no matter what here there is opportunities in this country how to get there how to use them so there is lots of things that we didn't have in our country so then i said okay let me start to apply to apply for schools and uh, also to leave New York to see like how things are in uh, other states. So mm-hmm. then I said, okay, when I moved here to Washington DC, it was still a big challenge, yeah. you know, to learn in one system, in education system in Africa, to come here, to go and find yourself in Georgetown, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, but I kept pushing. It's always pushing hard working, trying my best, so. That's incredible. And you started this program here, your master's program, mm. about a year and a half ago? Yeah, about a year. Okay, and, a half. and so you've been here in America for eight years eight total. Years. Yes. And so six of those years you were living in New York City, you were just working, building a network, and learning English. Fixing, like, learning English, fixing, like, my legal status mm-hmm. yeah so which is really, really very important here yeah you know because immigration it's really something which is uh, hard you need to remain focused you yeah. need to work hard it's like a full-time job after i finish here i don't know what's gonna be next so tell me what is one thing that you feel is the reason why you are here today sitting with me in a meeting room in the Georgetown campus in Washington, D.C. What is one thing that has kept you moving forward or one philosophy in your mind that has made it possible? Perseverance, maybe. Perseverance, yeah. Yeah, that's maybe the thing. 
because there is lots of time that I thought that I would give up. It's always hard, but um, whenever you start to do something, make sure that you're going to finish it. Mm. So it's really very important. So I don't know, you know, if it will always work, but... Uh, but I think you will always find a way. Yeah, I try my best. I try my best. So, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm glad to have these friends. It's it's not about me alone, but it's about also my friends who encourage me. As we said, like uh, whenever you have the friends who don't turn you down. So it's really very important to have uh, to encourage our friends. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so it, it it's helpful. Yes, having that support group around you is super important. And final couple of questions for you, Plessy, today. I wanted to ask you, how do you feel now knowing that you have the freedom to pursue your passion? It's really very important. But, uh, you know, always, uh, I remember my parents used to tell me, like, a freedom doesn't come alone. Freedom comes with the responsibilities. So that's the reason why. On one side, it's really something good, you know, to feel that you are free. But on the other side, it's your responsibility to know how to sustain that freedom, not to abuse that freedom. I feel like that's the reason why even whenever I'm with my friend, whenever sometimes I, I can ask them, what can I do? And I feel like if like every friend would think like that way, mm-hmm. to ask each other, what can I help? Mm-hmm. To help each other, to encourage each other. So I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this knowing also like what I went through in my life. Uh, but also there is, of course, the challenges like uh, whenever I see like what's happening today, especially in, in journalism, when the people have this opportunity of uh, becoming journalists and sometimes they abuse sometimes they uh, they are attacked sometimes it happens that for some it's very hard to resist this uh, this temptation so you need to know how to to manage all this situation with the journalist the journalism is going through because it's changing, it's changing it's no longer the same it's no longer the same like before mm-hmm. Yeah, because like uh, when when I compare like uh, what I went through like in our country, like everybody criticizing the journalists, blaming them, it's happening here, it's happening here. So it's our responsibility to to manage that situation, to know how we can uh, we we can face that kind of situation, not to be like the victims of that kind of situation that we are facing like today in this country because it's not only in this country it's around the world that's mm. very interesting that you mentioned that but i'm so happy with mm. where you are today and what you were able to overcome in order to be living this dream that you always had and honestly is absolutely incredible and i know you have good things around the corner for you you have some incredible opportunities, whether you know you decide to pursue one thing or another. So I want you to tell us what those opportunities are and what your overall hope for is for the future, now your future career in journalism moving forward. Yeah, of course, I am looking around. I am trying to see like if I can, I'm going to apply different places. You know, there is uh, where I went for internship, for fellowship. 
was at PBS News where I was at Voice of America. I'm still, I still kept the good co- contacts of uh, over there, connections. So, of course, I'm still open. I'm looking other places. It's always about applying, applying then to see like uh, uh, what's going to happen. So and these meetings that you're going to New York City for? For UN, yeah. Okay. Of course, yes. uh, yeah, exciting, but uh, it's always to try. Hopefully, yeah, something is going to happen. I'll keep you posted. You keep, let me know. Let me know. You were looking at Voice of America, PBS NewsHour, mm-hmm. and working UN. potentially with the UN. Yeah. So, so I mean, these it's are always great. trying to keep trying. Yep. And regardless of where you go, what is it that that you're passionate about sharing when it comes to journalism? Yeah. Uh, there is like I. I try to look like in the past what I did, like uh, about uh, climate change, eco- economic development, and poverty. You know, like mm-hmm. those issues that can um, touch the life of people. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking for. As I told you, I'm trying to learn a lot because uh, even like I would like to let you know that since we met, we had discussion. Then you are doing such a great job that I'm learning a lot from you. Okay. And uh, like uh, this issue of immigration that you talk about, these uh, issues that um, can touch, can mm-hmm. help the people to change life. And thank you for that. So I'm learning a lot from you and uh, keep it up. For sure, even in the future, I'm looking forward to Absolutely. learn a lot from you. So there is a uh, lot of topics, topics that we should really attack and uh, talk about, mm-hmm. tell a story about them that uh, can help people to change their life, to, imp- to improve their life. Absolutely. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. And as our friendship continues, I have no doubt that I will be sharing a lot of these different topics that I'm looking into because I believe in the same thing about spreading awareness, bringing these issues to light so that people know that it's going on and it's going on around the corner from them. You Mm. know, I mean, here Mm. in America, so many things going on around the world, so many things going on, and it's important for people to know about it. So I'm happy, you know, that we're going to be working on this journey together because we're both on a journey together, really. Definitely. It's my pleasure. Yes, and (laughs) I want to thank you so much for being here today, Placide, to share your story, your journey of where you were in Rwanda, having gone through the genocide, persevering and making sure that you were always focused on the goal that you had. And even though there were so many things along the way that could have completely derailed you from that goal, you completely stuck to it. And that's what has led you to being here and doing this interview. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you very much, my friend Roy. And uh, I'm looking forward to keep contributing. If there is uh, anything that we think that I can help with, feel free to let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. I'll make sure to to do that. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you, Fussy. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it and feel inspired and would like to be a part of the Relentless Minds community, you can join the movement for change on Instagram and Twitter. We would also love to know how your experience has been as a listener. If you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another powerful story. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.